Hey marketers, if you want to get the latest news, trends, and insights in marketing, advertising, and tech, check out the Adweek Podcast Network. Learn from leading voices across media and marketing with original shows like Yeah, That's Probably an Ad, Marketing Vanguard, and Tech Magic with Kathy Hackle. Start listening now by searching Adweek wherever you listen to podcasts. My dad works in B2B marketing. He came by my school for career day and said he was a big ROAS man. Then he told everyone how much he loved calculating his return on ad spend. My friends still laugh at me to this day. Not everyone gets B2B, but with LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people who do. Get $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash generate to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash generate. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This episode is brought to you by WeTV. WeTV always keeps it real. With hit reality series like Bridezilla's, Braxton Family Values, and Growing Up Hip Hop, over 70% of their audience engages with their social content. When you partner with WeTV, you'll reach influential and socially active fans through a suite of customizable branded content opportunities across all platforms and event partnerships. There's no better cable entertainment network to align your brand with for real impact. Find out just what WeTV can do for you. You're listening to, yeah, that's probably an ad. This is the Adweek podcast. And I am David Greiner, the creativity editor at Adweek. With me as she is each week is Sammy Main. Sammy, welcome back. Hello. Good. I was going to say good afternoon. Why do I always want to time this to a time of yeah, day? You, Just you, hello you, is fine. You ruin the evergreen nature of podcasting. <laughs> Uh, and we've got, I believe, two first-time guests. Uh, I don't think we've had you on. And uh, most importantly, we've got Lisa Grandstein, editor of Adweek. Lisa, welcome to the podcast. Hi. Thanks for having me here today. And uh, we've also got Nicole Ortiz, the community editor of Adweek. Nicole, how are you? Good. How are you? I'm good. Is this, Nicole, is this your first This is. On the pod- it's my oh, first man. podcast ever, so thanks oh, for okay. having me. All right. Well, we're very excited to have both of you. Uh, I do, with Lisa, wish it were under better circumstances because we are going to be talking about a rather sad bit of news that just came over as we were preparing to record this week's episode. So we're going to devote the news section uh, to this uh, specifically. And so let's go ahead and get to the news. Uh, As I said, we are recording this on Friday, and we learned uh, this morning that Anthony Bourdain, one of the most famous chefs, writers, media icons, television personalities, has died at the age of 61. Uh, Bourdain has had just a fascinating career, of course, first in the uh, in the cooking world, uh, but he really surfaced in the media landscape in 1999. The New Yorker ran a piece under his byline, uh, and the headline was, and I, I've always wondered how to pronounce this headline, uh, which sounds silly, but it was, it's either don't eat before reading this or don't eat before reading this. <laughs> <laughs> it could kind of go either way. Like, because uh, he very much kind of pulled away the veneer of the cooking world, of the kitchen world, where we don't see behind the door uh, going into the kitchen. And he exposed a lot of that. He followed up the next year with his book, Kitchen Confidential, which, of course, really kind of boosted him into the limelight and made him uh, this very huge personality in the food world. Uh, He hosted multiple TV shows, uh, a short-lived show on Food Network called A Cook's Tour. Uh, But then he went on, that was 2002, 2003. Then he moved on to the Travel Channel and was there for quite a while, uh, hosting No Reservation. 
operations uh, for seven years and then joined CNN in 2013 for Parts Unknown, uh, which he was filming uh, at the time of his death in Paris. Uh, It is an apparent suicide. Again, we are recording this while the news is still relatively new, so we do not have a great amount of detail. But uh, Lisa wrote the cover story for Adweek two years ago when we sat down with Anthony Bourdain. And it is just one of my favorite interviews in the history of Adweek. Uh, It is so real in a way that not every celebrity conversation is. Uh, You guys covered such an amazing amount of ground uh, and talked about so many things from YouTube food influencers to, you know, to uh, gluten-free diets and and all sorts of other trends. Uh, and it really kind of ran the, the gamut of topics and emotions and, uh, and, and even went in some dark places at times. Uh, it was fascinating going back and reading that. But Lisa, thank you so much for making time for us. And I, I just, I kind of want to open it up to you. Just tell us about that experience of meeting and sitting down with him. Well, thanks, David. It was, you know, it was Literally two years ago that uh, I met with him down in Chinatown at a restaurant called Hop Key. And it was a very old school restaurant. He didn't want to go anywhere flashy. He just wanted to hide out. And it was hard for him to hide out because he was about (laughs) 6'5", silver hair, um, very, you know, everybody on the street would see him. um, And he would just smile and, and nod. He was very gracious. Um, all the waiters were watching us hovering, and he was happy to sign autographs. Um, he was just—he was just a very generous person with everyone, um, with his time, uh, and with me. Uh, we sat down, um, talked about a lot of different things. He's—he's he's a magnificent storyteller. He really, truly was um, funny, entertaining, endearing. And authentic. He really had. Um, he was very, just very honest about anything. You you could ask him anything, and I did. A lot of it was published, but there was even more that we could have done um, that didn't make it in. Uh, it just. He was just very special person and very talented, and had a lot of big ideas that uh, sadly won't be be done at this point. Now, I, I feel like obviously we all know him from this very curmudgeonly demeanor uh, that was also a big break from, you know, the early Food Network shows. It was all folks like Emeril Lagasse, you know, these people with high energy and these kind of Guy Fieri, like passionate people that everything is great all the time and every food is amazing. And he was very much not that person. No, <laughs> he was sort of the punk rock chef. He he was he was a sort of a different from a different time and space, I guess. Uh, He just wanted to be real. Uh, Cooking was not easy. It was, it's a hard, uh, it's a hard job. And um, it's a creative one. And a lot of creatives are also a bit tortured, as he was. Um, He just, he wanted to keep it real. Now, he has also, I should note, in recent years, uh, he has been uh, pretty vocal about supporting women who have come forward in the Me Too movement. He wrote a a piece on Medium. It's not a long piece. I definitely recommend folks go back and read it. Uh, I think it was called something like On Hearing Bad News uh, was the headline. But uh, he was talking about the number of stories that come forward in the – uh, especially in the food world uh, with Mario Batali and and saying, you know, yes, I've, I've had relationships with the, these, you know, professional relationships with these folks in the past, but no, I do not stand behind them. And, and yes, I do uh, greatly support women who come forward. 
Uh, and, and I just thought that was, you know, maybe not to say surprising in the sense that he wouldn't support women, but it was clear that he really did stay relevant with these topics and, and was willing. He, he even had a note at the end of that piece where he said, I greatly regret any role that Kitchen Confidential had. I mean, I'm paraphrasing here from memory, but, you know, that Kitchen Confidential had in perpetuating this kind of uh, misogynistic uh, kitchen attitude. And so he, he, it's things like that that kept him somewhat unpredictable in, in a way. What were some of the other things you noticed about his personality that people may not have known just from watching him on TV? Well, just to that point, you know, he, he has an 11-year-old daughter um, and that he was very protective of during the interview. I mean, he was, he was joking around about her, but he deeply, deeply loved her. And I, you know, I'm sure that that over time has changed his perspective on women and and how they're treated. Um, he was not thrilled with the possibility when I asked of his daughter getting into the culinary scene. He really did not want that to happen. Um, he, you know, he he could be dark. I mean, he was, he was willing to go there even with me during the interview, um, talk about his, his drug use, about how, you know, he did not have some happy days. Um, but, uh, two years ago he was really on top of things and it, his show was peaking. Um, he was busy putting out a cookbook. Uh, he also was going to be, Putting together a um, sort of a street food, uh, a street food um, space out on the Hudson, the Hudson Yards, and I don't know what's going to happen to that now, unfortunately. But there was a lot he was looking forward to. Now, Sammy and Nicole, I wanted to open it up to you because one thing, and, and perhaps this is because it comes on the heels of the uh, also very tragic news uh, over this past week that Kate Spade, uh, the fashion icon, uh, we had also lost her as well. And I feel like one dark but positive conversation that's come out of this is there's been a, a great deal of discussion today uh, as we record this on social media about uh, suicide awareness, about depre- you know, being aware of mental health and warning signs. And it's not just what I would call the the you know typical of you know be aware and and watch out for warning signs i feel like there's a much more nuanced conversation going on today uh, where people are sharing much more personal stories about the reality of, of how this manifests in the different ways uh, different things we can watch out for I, that said i'm just curious what have you noticed about the conversations happening online in in light of anthony bourdain's death um, I mean, more specifically, I think people have been more and more open with talking about mental health and kind of their own journeys, um, not just celebrities, but that's certainly kind of breaking the way for us normal people to also talk about it if such famous people feel comfortable talking about it. Um, uh, one of our editors here, Sammy Nichols, created a hashtag talking about it that kind of opens up the conversation for people on Twitter to, to join in and chime in with their own experiences. I think this week in particular, a lot of people are sharing, you know, we, there are no warning signs. There are some typical ones, but you don't know what's going on in everyone's personal lives, especially celebrities who don't always share everything in their personal lives. Um, I think more than anything, there's certainly resources we can shove at people, but there's also, you know, being available to talk and to have those conversations means a lot to folks. Uh, until you 
uh, learn how to communicate about the issues you're dealing with, you feel like you can't and you feel like you're super duper alone until you have that vocabulary. So I think as people learn and destigmatize certain things, that's certainly the, the conversation that we're hearing more frequently and certainly this week as well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Um, I think a big part of it is destigmatization, destigmatization. Mm-hmm. and um, I think that more people are trying to share their stories to show that it's not just like a one-off thing. It doesn't happen like super infrequently, and a lot of people deal with this, even people who seemingly from our perspective have it all. They're famous. They have money. They're doing the fashion thing or the cooking thing, whatever like their passion is, but it's still a problem with mental health, and I mean, that opens it up to a bigger commentary on the country as a whole or whatever, so. Yeah, yeah. no, there's daily battles for everybody. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the overall message. Well, I, I have certainly, it's hard to say, you know, I, I, I've, I guess the right word is I've appreciated the conversation. We've all been, uh, of course, very busy just with normal lives and just with trying to cover this uh, this story today. But I am trying to make time to follow those conversations, even though we all get very busy with our day-to-day life. But, uh, you know, I think all of us have personal experiences with either ourselves, with family, with loved ones, uh, struggling with depression and, and suicide as well. And it's... You know, sometimes I think it's it's a very hard conversation, and it's tragic that it takes situations like this to really drive them forward into the public conversation. Uh, but I, I think there's there's going to be hopefully a lot of good that comes of it in, in the sense of of getting people more aware of these uh, you know of warning signs and of just the, again the different ways that it manifests with different people. Uh, but uh, you know, I, I I sure hope we don't have any more uh, any more tragic losses like this. But I do hope that the conversation continues forward. Uh, Lisa, were there any other uh, on a, on a brighter note? I mean, he was obviously a. a you know, a very funny man. I mean, it's like, I feel like it's easy to, in the middle of the, it's such a sad moment to forget the, the humor aspect of people. And were there any just memories that will stick with you from your, your time with him? Well, just walking around with him. I mean, it was just fun. You know, I, I was a little starstruck, so I had to get over that. And, you know, he, he made me, he tried to make me a little bit more comfortable. He offered me a beer, and I was like, this couldn't be any cooler sitting here having a beer with Anthony Bourdain. Um, I highly recommend people watch uh, his Waffle House tour um, and his sit-down with Pre- uh, President Obama in Vietnam, which was a great episode last year, where he talked about fatherhood, the future of the country, um, and many other topics. I mean, there's so many to, to choose from, but um, it's great that we'll be able to continue watching him and, and uh, enjoying his, his content and his storytelling. I think the thing I will always remember is uh, in some interview he was talking about eating cobra hearts, <laughs> like so. And the interviewer asked him, he he ate like I think they were still beating. It was oh, something like they, someone asked him like, "What's the weirdest thing you've eaten?" And he said, oh, "I was in some some Asian country." He said, "I ate uh, li- you know live cobra hearts," and they were like, "How were those?" And he just stopped for a second. He was like, "They were awful. How do you think <laughs> they were?" <laughs> And so just that that willingness to try something and even knowing that and, and I think of this all the time when I'm out and especially if it's at a restaurant that that offers, you know, some truly crazy options to my palate. You know, I'm like, yeah, sure. And I think of that a lot. I'm like, hey, it may end up being Cobra Hearts, but there's only one way to find out. 
Well, Lisa, thank you so much for making time to talk with us and share that uh, that story. And I definitely encourage everyone to check it out. Uh, it's it's still online and we've made it free. There's no sort of paywall or anything so anyone can access that interview and our other coverage. Uh, thanks so much, Lisa. Thanks for having me here. All right. And we're going to move on to our weekly segment of uh, ads that we think uh, are worth checking out. This is what we call Ads Worth Watching. This week uh, had something kind of interesting uh, that mostly because it, it's it's a hard ad to play on a podcast because like a lot of international intentionally global ads, it does not have any dialogue. Uh, it's certainly got some music, um, but it is an ad that Coca-Cola created uh, from its UAE office. So in Dubai uh, for an agency called FP7 McCann, UAE, uh, they created this ad for Ramadan. And this is the one month, uh, you know, Muslim fasting period that a lot of marketers, you know, for all the other holidays <laughs> that marketers get into, Ramadan is one that they, uh, to my knowledge, I've not, not seen many get, you know, addressed directly, especially at a global level. What's really interesting is that this ad debuted on the, uh, it's not on the main Coke page on YouTube and some of these others, but it debuted on their Amsterdam uh, their their Netherlands page on Facebook, where it got tremendously positive feedback, and I think the reason that it debuted there uh, versus in say a Muslim you know majority country uh, is the fact that the message is specifically for. Uh, Muslims in countries where they maybe are not the majority and may, and people around them might not understand uh, the fact that they are fasting for Ramadan until sundown each day, uh, why they're doing it, and and may have some other hostility uh, toward Muslims. Uh, so the the spot itself is uh, starts off quite uh, quite negative, I would say, for a Coke ad. It's not one of those where the world is perfect and everyone loves everybody. Uh, the first part of the ad is about a young woman uh, wearing a headscarf and she is uh, she gets some you know, maybe people are just having a bad day. Maybe they're glaring at her. Uh, they don't make it too overt, but then there is a young woman making fun of her uh, and, you know, mocking her. And this is near the end of the day uh, when for, you know, if anyone's fasted, uh, but especially if you've been around uh, people who do fast for Ramadan, end of the day is a rough time, especially when you are several weeks into it. And she's, you know, she's just trying to go about her day uh, and she's waiting for sun to go down so she can break her fast. And she's even holding the traditional meal of three dates, uh, which is uh, kind of a, a you know, it's not required that that's what you break fast with, but it's the traditional route. And uh, as she's doing that, a woman buys her a Coke uh, because she sees her having a rough time. Um, and then you, you can tell that. She, she can't drink the Coke yet because it is not sundown. And so the other woman stands with her and just waits for sundown. Uh, and then they drink it together and they talk. And uh, it's just kind of a nice little moment. So, again, it's tough to share that via podcast. But uh, I thought it was really interesting. It's gotten a tremendously positive response, even digging through the YouTube comments, which I did warily. <laughs> it was <laughs> was kind of interesting because a lot of them were Muslims saying, uh, well, you should not break your fast with Coke. <laughs> like that is not mm. not sugar. Sugary beverages are a bad idea. At the end of the day, you should you should drink water. Uh, and so, But almost every comment was like, you shouldn't use this product, but this is a really wonderful message. Uh, mm. And so people were kind of grudgingly saying, like, that's very cool of you, Coke. 
Oh, but by the way, you should probably not drink Coke when you break your fast. Uh, <laughs> did you two get a chance to watch it? If so, what did, what did you think? Yeah, no, I think it's a really, it's a lovely message and kind of like, you were saying earlier, there's, it's, you know, uh, maybe a sticky situation to advertise for Ramadan with food. Like it, it's, it's yeah. interesting that Coke kind of did uh, touch on that space at all. Um, but like you said, it's a really, it's a really, um, at the end of it, it has a very uplifting kind of overall tone and, and throughout it, I think they do a very fair job of representing kind of what it's like, um, just trying to to live and be a person who happens to be Muslim during Ramadan. Uh, and so, you know, like you said, it's it's very interesting that Coke is kind of in this space, but I think they did a really lovely job with their overall message. I kind of appreciate, you know, the the other, um, not, I guess, main character who, who comes in toward the end kind of realizes finally what's going on, which is, you know, kudos to her <laughs> for for kind of being aware of of what's up and then they're they're able to share a moment together which is a very coke message but I, I think they played it really well yeah I I kind of agree with that I think it was very sweet and I don't think that every ad needs to be taken like oh you're gonna literally have a coke as soon as you're breaking fast like I think the message was really nice and it's kind of like you can extend some fiction with that part of it yeah, if you see someone having a rough day, it is kind of nice to be like, here's something. But then, you know, in today's PC snowflake culture of like, <laughs> well, she could be allergic to Coke and how dare you exactly. and all of that. But I, I do think it was it was really sweet to be able to like see someone a little down, send them a little pick-me-up, mm -hmm. realize you made a cultural faux pas, <laughs> and then wait it out together. It was sweet. Yeah. Do you guys want to hear a small world scenario of <laughs> along those lines? So uh, Tuesday was a primary uh, where I live. I was volunteering outside the polls, signing people up uh, for to kind of get involved in campaigns before November. And uh, the, you know, so I was just kind of talking to people as they came by. Uh, and a, a woman in a headscarf walked by and I offered her a donut <laughs> just because I, I, had, I had a big box of donuts there. And, and mm -hmm. she was she was tremendously polite about it and just said, oh, no, thank you. I'm fasting. And I, and I literally was just like, oh, and I had not written I had not written this piece yet. So I have to admit it wasn't uh, I, I don't live in a community with with a tremendous amount of Muslims uh, compared mm -hmm. to you know many other places I've lived. Uh, but so so I've kind of you know, you get out of the calendar when you when you, uh, you know, it's a, it's a bit like if you don't live in Catholic heavy areas, you know, it's like you just. Mm -hmm. Don't notice sometimes if you're not a, a religious person. Yeah, right. Uh, but yeah, it was one of those where I was just like, oh, yeah, I should know these things. Uh, so I'm sure it's <laughs> something that they deal with pretty much all day, every day. Yeah. <laughs> and so uh, funny enough, after I wrote this, I noticed a McDonald's ad from Singapore. Although, again, I don't know if... If necessary, I, I think made, I think it was this one was uh, made to be shown in Singapore, uh, but it's about Ramadan and it is very similar. It's about a delivery boy, uh, young man who uh, you know it looks like McDonald's delivery is a bigger thing there, and so he's just he spends the whole day running around deliveries, uh, but obviously is fasting. It's about a two minute ad that starts with his his family and talking about Ramadan, then he goes off to work, and yeah, they do a good job of. Like, like uh, compared to the Coke one too, of just showing the exhaustion because he has to go up all, up and down all these stairs. He like pushes a car at some point to like yeah. help someone out. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you know, so so it was interesting that that so Sammy, you watched that one. It, mm -hmm. it, I mean, those these are kind of very similar ads, huh? 
They're very similar, and I, and I think it's maybe a, a testament to where we are in, God forbid, 2018, where we're finally recognizing <laughs> cultures outside of our own, or like, you know, the religions that maybe aren't the ones you see on literally every corner of, of wherever you live. It's very, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of like we're now getting a peek into, into what life is actually like in these very real world um, kind of, you know, everyday looks. Uh, and it's it's another nice one. It's, you know, someone recognizing that this, you know, this young man has been not only running around all day, but also fasting, which like one of those <laughs> would be bad, but two of them <laughs> together is a lot to to take on. Um, so, yeah, it is a, a certainly similar message. And, you know, maybe it's just a, a trend in the right direction for advertising. It, it reminds me, too, and this isn't a perfect parallel, but it's a trend we've noticed, which is that, you know, typically when you talk about Hispanic or Spanish language advertising in America, you know, it's it's always been a separate thing. So so a brand will hire a, an ad agency and then they'll hire a different ad agency to make their Spanish language ads or to make mm-hmm. their ads that are focused at Hispanic markets. And, you know, it, it seems kind of silly because in a lot of ways they're making the exact same ads. It's just the language they're speaking or some of the nuance of the, the audiences is a little different. But we've noticed that those lines are getting blurred lately where you're seeing that the, that they're able to put Spanish into uh, an otherwise English ad, that there's mm. both languages represented in there. Verizon's been doing a lot of fun stuff with this with Thomas Middleditch there. Uh, I don't know what they call them, their their sales guy character mm-hmm. who's in all their ads. Like there, there's several ads where he runs into people who don't speak English and so he can't help them. And then like a Spanish, it's a Mexican actor, uh, appears wearing the exact same outfit and he's just much suaver than Thomas Middleton <laughs> and comes in and starts saying, let me handle this one. <laughs> and, and you know, the, the most recent Dilly Dilly ad uh, was basically like half of it was in Spanish. Uh, and, the, you know, they have subtitles. We all have subtitles these days. So it doesn't really matter. You know, it's like True. unless you're watching it on maybe on broadcast. And even then, I, the Bud Light one is subtitled on broadcast. But I think we are starting to see that, that this these campaigns that we're talking about, both of these Ramadan ads, are made specifically to highlight you know, Muslim minorities in countries where the general public doesn't understand what they're going through. And so helping, you know, the ads are, are aimed as much at the Muslims who are fasting as it is at people like us who are not and to help understand so that we don't have the donut at the polls situation <laughs> and, and maybe do. Uh, but um, Nicole, do you think that that's a trend we're going to see uh, kind of continue in other places too? Um, I honestly hope so. I think it's uh, kind of needed right now in uh, the world climate to have that just know that there's like that allyship there. Um, and that's kind of what I got from the ad was like, oh, like I, I might have made this faux pas, but like I still have your back. Like here I am. I'm going to enjoy this drink with you. And like it just um, it just seems more united. And I think that is a good message to move forward with. And, um, you know, it didn't have to bring politics or anything into it, but it's still it still kind of makes you think of it in a way. So I feel like that, I, I hope that it continues in this way. I think it's really positive for everyone. I feel like this is all a perfect segue for our big discussion of the week <laughs> this week because we're going to be talking about our Creative 100. And I feel like this was definitely a recurring theme of, uh, you know, the, well, I don't want to spoil it. That's a good conversation for the next segment. So let's start the next segment. 
All right. So as I already spoiled, uh, this week we're talking about our Creative 100, which is our annual list of what we call the 100 most uh, creative professionals. It's mostly American or at least people whose products or, you know, output is in America. We bend those lines <laughs> quite a bit every year. Um, so I wouldn't say it's a completely global list, but there are quite a few uh, global names on there. Uh, I wanted to, each of us uh, has written quite a few pieces for the list this year. Um, and uh, I wanted to go over it because we break it down. So instead of just being 100 people that you, you know, digging through a big long list, we break it down into into uh, smaller lists of different types of creative professionals. So we've got celebrities and influencers, which is always one of the most fun categories to go through. I should note that we never repeat anybody. Uh, so, you know, if once you're on the list, that's it. Like, uh, you know, Donald Glover can only get there once, no matter the fact that every year people want him on there. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, it, you know, it's it's been, it's been interesting because I think we've done a good job of featuring people maybe a few years before they really kind of break out into that mega... Um, you know, massive mainstream awareness sometimes, and those are those are some of the best. But uh, while we're talking about it, I'll go ahead and just list off some of these. Uh, so we've got Ava DuVernay, uh, the director of Wrinkle in Time. She is on our cover, and Christina Monlos has a wonderful interview with her. Unfortunately, Christina was traveling today, so she could not join us to talk about her interview with Ava. Uh, but you know, just such a, an incredible figure, such a, a, an inspiration right now, and and she is. You know, to have a woman of color directing Hollywood blockbusters uh, and, you know, she's made some incredible ads as well. Uh, It's been a few years since she got really heavy in ads, but just, you know, just a wonderful uh, representative of kind of the best of creativity in 2018. Uh, I'll rattle off a few more real quick and then we can talk about some of them. Greta Gerwig, uh, the director of uh, Lady Bird, and she is one of those just completely multi-talented writer, star, director, can can do absolutely anything, producer. Uh, Solange uh, Knowles, uh, who... I think even after we put together this list, uh, it, it was announced that she's going to be collaborating with IKEA. Uh, she just did a big uh, kind of performance art collaboration with Uniqlo. Uh, she's doing some really fantastic uh, things beyond, you know, if you look around, most discussion of her online is like, when's her next album coming out? But I really think she's going in a very different direction. Uh, and uh, we've got Spike Jones, who, of course, is one of the most famed directors in the music videos and movies and definitely in advertising. He made the Kenzo World ad uh, that was a huge juggernaut last year and then this year made uh, Welcome Home for the Apple HomePod, that FK Twigs uh, ad where she is dancing across her apartment while it magically transforms just one of the most incredible ads mm-hmm. of all time. Uh, and Spike certainly, I don't know why it's taken us this long to put him on the list, but we made, we made fix for that. We've got Lena Waithe uh, from Master of None and uh, recently who helmed a uh, great, a hilarious Nike campaign where she is a shoe therapist for uh, star athletes. Phoebe Waller-Bridge, uh, who if you know her, you probably know her from Fleabag and from some of her other very cool BBC uh, work. But if you don't know her from that, she is the voice of the kind of, uh, I, I guess, chain-breaking robot from Solo. Have, have either of you seen Solo yet? No, I haven't. No. <laughs> I don't know why. I, why do I ask Sammy whether she's seen a Star Wars? You should or... know. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. Um, Solo is not as bad as a lot of people worried it would be, but the absolute best part of the movie hands down is Phoebe Waller-Bridge as the voice of a robot whose name is like L3 something hyphen something something um anyway it doesn't matter the robot is 
just the best. She talks about how, like, you know, oh, it, she gets into having sex with Lando Calrissian or the fact that she could if she wanted to, you know, if she wanted to. <laughs> and, like, she is going around trying to free every robot from from indentured servitude. Uh, just hard to describe. Such an amazing character. <laughs> really the, the absolute best part of the movie. Um, and uh, And then... My favorite entry in this year's list, we've got the entire cast of The Good Place. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> just like, we could not agree. There's no one person. Uh, and uh, the, the show's creators certainly have uh, a lot of, deserve a lot of credit for that. But man, what, a, what an ensemble show. Like, what an epitome of an ensemble show. I mean, it's, I just recently rewatched everything that uh, is currently out there. Uh, and boy, oh boy, is it a gem of a show, man. It'll make you think about humanity in a way you haven't before and laugh, and then you walk away real confused about why you're laughing about <laughs> how bad of a person you are, and then you love it again, and it's the best show. <laughs> I mean, just the fact that it like covers, literally covers hardcore philosophy and then also dives right into just dumb jokes about pop culture, you know, it's so like the ability good. to balance those it. two. Uh, and it's such a, just the actors really make that show happen. Uh, our interview with uh, the creator, David Shore, talks about uh, that he, you know, he wanted people that you did not recognize. Uh, he wanted these to be, you know, uh, obviously with, with some exceptions, uh, he, he wanted it to be people that, uh, you, you you know, you don't know who they are. You don't know. In one case, one character is silent for the first several episodes <laughs> or at least for the first one or two episodes. And so you don't know. Like, you don't know <laughs> what he really sounds like because you don't know that actor. Uh, and, uh, and so, yeah, I, I think that really is kind of the key to it. So before we kind of dive into some of the ones that you wrote, what are some other names that stuck out to you or, or even of the ones we've already mentioned, what are some that, that got you guys very excited to see them on the list this year? I mean, I think we always do a really interesting job of compiling the list and gosh, just so many, uh, you know, hands go into that pot of kind of suggesting things. And it's it's an incredibly difficult task, David, as, as you've shepherded and kind of led the charge uh, on on this one of like, how do you know who you don't know? I think is an is an interesting way to to look at the list. Like you have to get new perspectives, and like you may have some ideas, but other people have kind of other opinions too. So I'm always stoked to kind of see who ends up um, making the cut. I'm just chomping at the bit to to talk about one in particular that I did interview. Um, but there's also, um, I mean, Reese Witherspoon is on our list this mm-hmm. year, and she's done such amazing work, not only as an actress, but like as a production mogul and kind of lifting women up and mm-hmm. recently announced that there will be a Legally Blonde 3. She's running, folks. It's going to be so good. Um, so, yeah, there's there's a lot of exciting names, but there's also, it's like a really fun, like, mm, people you should know kind of list, too, to kind of, like, stay up on on who's hip, who's cool, who's coming up. Yeah, I'm I'm particularly excited to see the cover story um, mm-hmm. and see that one fleshed out. It's going to be really interesting. I uh, can't wait to see the imagery from that too. Uh, Cardi B is on yeah. the list. That's oh, going to be yeah. pretty I didn't cool. Even mention Cardi. <laughs> um, and I, there's some Marvel comic writers that um, I know that you, David, had like uh, kind of told me a little bit about. They sound really interesting. I'm excited to kind of read their blurbs. And yeah, I mean, I think it's a great list. It's it's very um, diverse and inclusive, and I think that's very important right now. So. Yeah, I'm I'm really excited to see the whole thing like once it's 
live. Well, let's talk about some of the ones that you guys wrote about. Now, Nicole, while we're on you, I feel like you jumped at uh, some of the more obscure ones, which is great because, you know, there's always people who are like, oh, I'll write up the superstar. Uh, mm. But but you were not just willing, you were stoked to jump yeah. on, <laughs> on some of these. Uh, so first tell us about, I, I think, one name that at least uh, the media nerds among us and maybe comics folks who would recognize is Roxanne Gay, uh, who has just become one of those figures that uh, you see, you just see her name everywhere. Uh, tell us about Roxanne Gay. Yeah, well, so that's, that's why I, that's the one that I kind of jumped on because I, really idolize her as an author. Um, I got a chance to speak with her and it was like one of the coolest moments ever. And um, she's just so raw. Her writing is so real. She writes about things that just need to be said. Like um, in her book, Bad Feminist, that's kind of how I found her. She she writes about like, yeah, I, I haven't been a very good feminist and that made me feel like crap because I didn't know like all the founders of feminism and I felt like I had to read all these books and then I realized, wait, no, that's not how this works. If I care about equal rights and I care about, you know, inclusivity, then I'm a feminist, like, and I don't care what other people try to tell me. I thought that was pretty awesome. I was like right there with her. Um, she, we, we kind of focused on her two recent uh, works, Hunger, a memoir of my body which is a very uh, tough read because she talks about a very traumatic uh, rape that happened to her that led her to um, kind of protect her body through eating. And um, that one, she writes about fat bodies from the perspective of I still have a fat body and these are my struggles, not I had a fat body and I lost all this weight and I'm triumphant and look at how amazing I am. And these are the 10 things I did that you should do too. Um, So that I think is really great. I've seen so much positive feedback to that book um, online from other people who are like, you wrote my story and I needed this and I feel so validated. Um, She also wrote uh, World of Wakanda, which is a comic and it's really unique because she brought, she kind of went off of, um oh black panther and uh she she created a marvel universe that's for black gay women which is like not a thing before this so like way to go that's awesome hmm. and she just does so many cool things she's working on a bunch of projects now she's working on creating um a film for her first novel and yeah i mean she's like the busiest person like just thinking about all the things that she's doing right now makes me feel like wow i'm I don't even know what busy feels like. Yeah, the uh, another person for those who like Roxanne Gay, uh, I would also point out a maybe a little more obscure name who's on the list, uh, Mariko Tamaki. Uh, she is, I believe, based in Canada, but uh, her she does writing for works that you can find anywhere. Uh, she has been writing recently for She-Hulk. Uh, and I picked up the entire run of, of – she – not to kind of – it's always hard to talk about like – storylines within comics because you know how comics are just Mm -hmm. ongoing so it's like (laughs) basically it picks up after the incredible hulk is killed by hawkeye for god knows what reason like because the word you know comics are in a very different place than the movies um (laughs) but anyway so the hulk has died in the comics and i don't think i'm spoiling anything (laughs) i have no idea um but she hulk is uh, bruce manner's cousin and she basically goes through the entire grief cycle um, of dealing with it while also having to fight 
uh, supervillains, <laughs> and it sounds uh, maybe dumb. I, I think a lot of writers would have really phoned in the emotional part. I would say, if anything, she kind of phones in the the you know superhero part a little bit. But man, her description, her dialogues around um, how She Hulk is going through this, uh, you know, getting through the denial about her her cousin's death and and getting to acceptance. Uh, you know, she literally goes through the end, and it's it's just hard to describe. It's such a well written cycle uh, in such a short form space where these comic books, not like graphic novels, you know, comic books, you flip the page like six times and you're done. That's the whole mm-hmm. comic. And so, you know, she really did a fantastic job. She's written for Lumberjanes. She's uh, she has uh, several other pieces come out. I believe she wrote a uh, Supergirl uh, graphic novel as well. Um, so, so she's a fantastic one as well. Uh, tell us about uh, Minjin Lee, uh, who you also were excited to write about. Yeah, so um, she wrote a book called Pachinko, and um, I actually found her because <laughs> this is probably creepy. I don't know. I like love Roxanne Gay's tweets, and she's very uh, prolific on her Twitter. I guess you could say. Um, and she, somebody had asked her for a suggestion of novels to read, and Minjin Lee's Pachinko was one of them. And I've had it on my reading list for a while now, and I was like, oh, she could be a really cool person for Creative 100. So um, I'm really happy that she made it. It was really great speaking with her. Um, she's very down to earth. And um, she wrote this book about, uh, she, she had seen um, a, a missionary came to her college and did a lecture about a young boy who uh, committed suicide after being bullied. And he was an ethnically Korean boy living in Japan and Japanese students were bullying him for not being like not having a Japanese background and she just couldn't wrap her head around that um so she started kind of diving in interviewing people interviewing families um seeing that like while it is difficult they don't really see themselves as victims there they see themselves as like I'm just living my life like whatever this is just part of my life and um she she wrote a, a first a novel first, but she never actually submitted it because she just never felt like it was fully where she wanted it to be. And she published her first book, Free Food for Millionaires. And then she was like, I need another project. I'm going to dive back into this. And that's how Pachinko happened. So um, it's I'm really excited to read it. Um, I think from what I've heard, it's a really great and touching story. Like, uh, so, yeah. And Sammy, uh, before we run out of time, I want to make sure we have time to hear about, uh, you wrote, I believe, what, two or three of the, the bios. Uh, tell us about the folks that you uh, that you covered this year. Yes, a whopping two. <laughs> I feel like <laughs> last year I was able to contribute a little more, but uh, like we were saying earlier, mm, people be busy. Uh, so I, I did get to write two of them this year, kind of both in the branded content space. Um, and folks, did you know brands are on Twitter? And did you know some of them are pretty good at it? Interesting. Uh, good talk. Now I feel like Dora. Um, <laughs> so one of the one of the ones I was able to to write up and and actually get a chance to talk to the person who mostly runs it is, uh, believe it or not, from the U.S. Consumer Product Safety Commission, which their their Twitter handle is USCPSC. And if you're a fan of weird <laughs> Twitter, you're not surprised that we're talking about them, but it's still weird that like 
a government <laughs> account. <laughs> it was on our like best of branded content, uh, you know, creators. Um, but to, to give you a sense, I'm going to read one of their recent images that they posted. Uh, the tweet, and this is thrilling audio. The tweet text is, cook safely this weekend, hashtag Friday feeling. And then an image of a couple grilling outside. Uh, and the woman says, what are the burgers saying this time? And uh, the other, you know, male figure, I guess, I don't know if they're husband or wife or friends or whatever. Uh, but his text says, uh, same old same. Good job keeping this grill outdoors, Joel. We love you, Joel. They're so sweet. And it's really a, an image to remind you that, um, as it says, burgers know best. Keep your grill outdoors. <laughs> uh, they give you these reminders of how to stay safe with your consumer products. And they will remind you about, like, recalls or how to best install a bookshelf. All with these weird ass like Photoshop <laughs> images that are so weird and so meme worthy and so curious, and they're working so well. So I got to interview Joseph Galbo, uh, who who runs that account and who used to work for McCann, I believe. Um, and he said actually a lot of his inspiration for when they were kind of setting the tone uh, of the account in general came from kind of like old school Ogilvy stuff, kind of like very simple text on images uh, and kind of, you know, uh, where that leads you and what that looks like today. Uh, so I thought that was fascinating. He kind of, you know, did some some advertising research into into how it looks today. It's super weird. It's super great. And of course, our, our the other Twitter account <laughs> that I got to write about was for uh, Moon Pie. Again, Yay. can't talk about that. Twitter in 2018 without <laughs> talking about good old Mumbai. Um, it's super weird. It's super fun. They're completely irreverent. Most of their tweets don't even mention the product. Sometimes <laughs> it's just like, who's ready to scream into a pillow? Am I right? <laughs> like, uh, it's super relatable and funky and weird. And there's certainly a team effort that that goes into creating both of these accounts. But it, it you know, comes definitely bottom up, but also it gets met from top down of kind of these executives or people in charge of kind of social media in general, giving the okay for these weirdos to do their weird thing on Twitter. And so I'm, I'm glad we got to highlight these uh, very, you know, gems of accounts, really. <laughs> I, I wish I had time to even go into the agency, folks. About half this list, uh, 50 of the 100 uh, work at agencies of, of all kinds. And uh, man, we just don't even have time to get into it. So, uh, you know, we've got people behind basically all your favorite Super Bowl ads, people behind the Tide ads, people behind the the Apple HomePod, uh, Welcome Home ad, pretty much uh, almost everything you can that you've probably dr truly enjoyed in the last year or two, hopefully is somewhat represented in there. Uh, so definitely check it out. Just go to adweek.com. You can't miss Creative 100 if you're listening to this kind of uh, as we uh, roll out all that content. And then uh, we've also got our can previews. And next week's episode, we're going to be talking all about can because Sammy and I are going to be headed out there along with bunch of other folks, and we're going to be covering the heck out of the Can Lions International Festival of Creativity. So keep an eye out on adweek.com for all that. Uh, Sammy, thanks as always. Nicole, thanks so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. All right. Well, we will be back next week to talk uh, all of our previews for Can. Uh, but uh, for now, be sure to keep an eye on the site. Our theme music is by Home. Uh, this episode is produced by Anya Fernando and edited by Lane McGivney. Please take a moment to leave us a review if you haven't already on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they also help new listeners discover the show. I'm David Griner with Adweek, and we'll be back next week. Music.